If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. Who's the first one that, that found or I heard? Did. Was it you? So this is, I'm really excited about this guest. Now, let me tell you <laughs> how it took a different turn than what I anticipated. So... Michael Wood was uh, yeah, a police officer that was in Baltimore. Um, it was during the whole Freddie Gray well, thing. Well, yeah, and I heard him first on, on Rogan's podcast, uh, just to be fair. Well, you know, you, you <laughs> yeah. didn't hear him first. Yeah. I heard him yeah. first on that podcast. I don't know about that. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's where I probably, I'm, I probably heard him first, and then you followed up. That's right. That's, yes, right. that's, that's probably that's how that went down. That's where I'm going yeah. with this right yeah. now. I was friends with him in high school. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I heard him first on there, and then I heard him on um, uh, Free the People, and when I originally reached out to him, my intention was to actually have a very controversial podcast. Like I really did. I wanted I wanted to seek some controversy. I I thought Joe Rogan was a layup. I thought he was he was really easy on Michael Wood, and I thought he had a great uh, a great story. And Joe just kind of let him tell it. But I really wanted to challenge some of his ideologies, and I thought that Sal. Uh, would be perfect to do that, Sal and us, but it, mostly Sal because Sal is definitely the more the political guy out of the three of us. So I thought this would be a really interesting episode to have all of us kind of go and play some, you know, back and forth verbal volleyball a little bit. Yeah, because on, on the Rogan podcast, he was all about. He talked a lot about the mis uh, the mistreatment that you know he did and that the police force did on people, especially people of color. Uh, but then he was like very, I mean, he was way off on that side. He talked a lot about, uh, and this was on the Rogan podcast. So we thought, okay, this is going to be quite controversial. Not at all what ended up happening. No, no. It went it, in a different direction. Now, that being said, um, I was, even though I think Sal was chomping at the bit and was hoping that it would be more controversial, I think it was an incredible episode. I mm -hmm. think this was uh, one of my favorite conversations that we had and a uh, very intelligent guy. Um, and we got into some pretty deep shit, and I thought that uh, he articulated a lot of his points. I think there was a lot of things that we thought that uh, we would disagree on, and I think that what we did that I thought some other uh, podcasters that had been interviewed, because he's been on a ton, um, I think there was a lot of people that didn't let him fully articulate his point, and then when you let the guy talk for a while, which I thought we did a good job in this episode doing, you know, he explains his points deeper. So I'm really excited to get the feedback from the audience to hear what they think about Michael Wood after this I have episode. just kind of mixed feelings about it. I, I knew what I thought going into it. It was different than that. And it, he, you know, he's, and I'm just being totally honest. He was a nice guy, very cool with us. Um, you know, he says a lot of words uh, to say something that requires few words. And so he kind of gets lost mm. in, in this circular talk, which made it some at sometimes very frustrating for me. And it, it feels, I don't know, it was hard. I didn't see a whole lot of direction, but... Um, you know, Adam really liked the podcast. He liked the episode. It was definitely engaging. What'd you think, Justin? Well, yeah, I had thought a lot about this because it definitely threw me off a little bit. What you had mentioned, I thought there was going to be a little more controversy, a little more back and forth, but it really like, I was listening to a lot of his points and I thought he made some interesting points and he had some information that I hadn't heard before, which you'll hear in the podcast that I'm sure some people will be like, oh, I knew that, you know, those statistics and all that, which I didn't. Um, but what I, I guess what I appreciate about him is uh, the fact that what you hear a lot these days 
is people that are, you know, crying out for things that are wrong and, and things that they see, you know, that are happening that, uh, you know, we didn't make a stand about it and we need to do this, that. And not a lot of people are actually, uh, you know, putting it together and actually trying to now create the change going forward. And I feel like he's putting a lot of efforts in that direction with, uh, you know, actually like getting that change and in, in, in talking to, you know, uh, how to reorganize like the, the protocols and the things uh, within the uh, police force uh, and addressing them in a way where uh, it's constructive. And so I appreciate that about, you know, his approach and his mindset. He did say he wants to change uh, for re- how real reform, I guess. Is yeah. What I'm how to policing say. is done. So I, yeah. I thought that was interesting, but nonetheless, you, you know, it's, it, it, you might find this a fascinating episode, he has a book that he's written recently, mm-hmm. too, called Crimes and Punishment in the 21st Century that uh, he left for us. That'll be cool to His dive Instagram into. His Instagram page is Michael A. Wood Jr. So it's at Michael A. Wood Jr. And it spells Michael, M-A-C-H-A-E-L. Um, and uh, Oh, and also, I do want to mention it's October, which means MAPS Aesthetic is 50% off. So remind everybody, this is our bodybuilder physique and bikini program. It's half off. Find it at mapsblack.com. Use the code BLACK50, B-L-A-C-K, and the number 50, and get half off. And uh, here we go. Without any further ado, here we are talking to Michael Wood. How many podcasts <laughs> have you been on now, Mike? Oh, I don't know. I guess hundreds. Hundreds, probably, Holy right? shit, that many and now. Th- this all took off in uh, back in 2015, was it, when you when you started tweeting about what was going on? You know, as a police officer, it was around that time when everything started really taking off? It was, yeah, something around June to August, like mm. 2015. But I mean, I've almost cut it off completely. What do you mean? Like no more no more social media, no more, or cut off the interviews? I, I've kind of cut off a, a good chunk of interviewing because it's like we're in this culture and mindset now where we're not focused on solutions. So I'm kind of just talking to myself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it is good that some of you guys w- would do something like this, but largely I won't go challenge. So the people that do want to talk to me are ultra liberal, already agree with everything I say. Mm-hmm. I'm not into preaching the choir because they don't care that I'm even getting how we're getting there. They mm-hmm. just care that I agree with them. Right. Mm-hmm. And oh, wow. th- that's fucking pointless. Yeah. Now, do you do you identify as uh, as an ultra liberal or are you because I've also I feel like I've heard you talk about some things that may be considered libertarian as well. Mm-hmm. Or are you more are you on that liberal side? I, so I would generally subscribe to say like drop all of those labels okay okay and if the policy is good then the policy or point has to stand on its individual merit mm-hmm. not these broader encompassing things you know like because when i say like we can't talk about anything when everybody wants to talk about trump what they're all talking about is their subjective opinions of the way he behaves with subjective categories right like you have to talk about policies for me to give a shit. Mm-hmm. Um, what I did throughout my entire life, essentially as an officer, was be a good person trying to not be racist, and ended up doing all these terrible actions. But that was because I wasn't focused on the principles and the individual thing. It was just like I could be good, I could feel good, but how is that even relevant? Mm. You know? Let's talk about that. Mm. Like as an officer uh, in in Baltimore. When did you start to really pick up that, okay, this is not cool? Like, what's happening? What I'm doing isn't cool? Like, let's talk about that a little bit for a second for the people who are listening who might not know that story. I, mean, I really don't know. I think, I, I guess life kind of comes in like those steps, you know? It's like some person, and, and I really think that that 
it's, we talked about my book already earlier, and I don't want to get too much into that. I'm not trying to be here to self-promote. Mm-hmm. But the reason that book was written is because I had to get into the philosophies of what I was talking about. So my whole life, I was trying to be analytical and be scientific in like what the stats says, what the numbers were, be colorblind, approach everything by the law. And what that just makes you, you just end up being a slave to the system. I thought we could be more professional in that system. So I had to go back and think about things like free will and whether we actually have the ability to make our own decisions in life. And I think that that's what I really am. There is no me. Mm-hmm. That it is Somebody influenced me and pushed me a little bit more one way. Some other truth and experience pushed me another way. So there, the, anywhere where I put that line, I think is my own naivety mm-hmm. in where that took place. The things that kind of stand out is, is the drug war and seeing how it's, it's completely pointless. So we were spending all this money going through all this work. And I, I'm so, I mean, we're all myopic. So what I'm thinking is, is this pointless? Why am I doing this type of work? My friends are out here and, and like these people, these other cops are my friends. So like, I don't want to barge in doors where they're getting ready to take a bullet for something that is obviously pointless and, and hurting the actual community that we're doing. Like we're not improving things. So we all know that with the drug war, the prohibition doesn't work. The first most violent period in this country's history was alcohol prohibition, mm-hmm. and we maintained that with the drug war. And so I think most cops all have started to see the drug war aspect. Mm. The other side was really the internal thing. And getting promoted, it's not that we, we act like the police are, are a separate entity from the entire world, and even police act like that. But they're just fucking human beings, and they're just employees doing a normal job and following what, what normal people do. So when those all those problems we have in society are still internal within the police department. So the the oligarchy of the police department, the good old boys club, they come down on the on the wrong thinkers. They come down on anybody who bucks the system and doesn't want to get them exactly what what they want to get. There's a lot of internal racism and disproportionate punishment for black officers, promotionary processes. And so I started to buck the the department internally. I, I just thought that we could be better. It took me a really long time in being out of the police department before I could step back and be like, oh, shit, it doesn't matter how well we do this. The best way that we can do this, like in in everybody's idea of what perfect policing is, is that you don't see their violence. And that's Mm. (laughs) that's, it just means you really want an effective cloak over putting people in a prison cell and treating them in a way that it's illegal to treat a dog. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So like that's kind of it's that long progress. I don't think there ever is. Well, are you at this point that you're bucking the system? Are are you getting kind of push getting pushback from your peers at all? I mean, that's the thing is that already occurred a decade ago when I started Mm. doing that. So the first thing I did is uh, I I talk about this in a a different opening paragraph of a book because I'm trying to tell the story of of how professionalism changes in policing. And when I was a supervisor, I I went out and uh, I was a major case narcotics cop, which means I was way separated from the police department. You know, I was doing drug work. I was hiding. I was spending my days in, in an isolated environment with a handful of people. Then I got promoted and went back to patrol and it was like, oh shit, like I'm responsible for this. These people don't know anything. You know, like my officers, I don't want to crap on them. But when I got there, like the opening joke was I realized I needed to write a book about professionalism and what we need to do properly because nobody on our shift could legally define what an arrest was. If you are an officer and do not know what an illegal, what a legal arrest is, wow. well, then we obviously have no business doing this job. We're just getting through by like practice, not actually knowing what we're doing and just the general hmm. acceptance of things. 
So uh, other supervisors covered my, my butt a bit in, in work ethic and I sat in like covering the shifts and I sat down and wrote a 518 page book for how to be the perfect police officer in Baltimore, how to get through the, the uh, promotional processes. And what that did was is that leveled the playing field because the promotional system was all it was like all black officers, majority black officers. And then sergeants were less black officers then lieutenants were even less. And then as you kept going up less and less until you get to the top, because then you need all your tokens. So then the top levels back out again by their hand selecting. But those are like the good, like it's not black and white anymore. Mm-hmm. It's classes. So those are just the, the rich elite oligarchy kind of good old boys network that had color. So you end up with being the same type of things on, on, on the top of the agency. And so when I wrote my book, I started coaching people how to get promoted because they didn't want me to get promoted. But they couldn't stop me because there is a, a relatively objective promotional system. But what they do is they control who has access to the information. And I didn't allow them to do that. What I did is I took the whole stack of all the knowledge that policing does and I condensed it down to that one book, allowed every single person in the agency to have it, started doing classes. Our first group of sergeants, we had 50 sergeants get promoted each two, like two year go around and 25 of them were people that I taught. Oh, that wow. was way too much power for a sergeant to have mm-hmm. in the police department. And that's really started my, yeah. my, that was my downfall. By the time I got attention publicly, there wasn't a person in the Baltimore Police Department that was surprised any of this was taking place. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Now, the public yeah. attention came from other things. The public attention came from, I believe, was it, was it a series of tweets that you had put out that kind of got, got, got people's attention? And then, you know, and, and then we had the, the, the shooting of, I think it was Freddie Gray, in Baltimore, which kind of embroiled everything. Is that how you started getting that public attention? Well, the Freddie Gray preceded me. So you could say that... That happened first. Yeah, the reason why people paid attention to me is because of Freddie Gray's death. Got it. So everybody was was looking at Baltimore at that moment. Mm-hmm. And with, I mean, I was... And so they're looking at Baltimore, and then you start what, saying all this I'm, shit. This is not new. I mean, I've ran my mouth for... Years. Yeah. What, what time? What you're familiar with? I thought we st- we talked about overstepping. <laughs> yeah. No, right. He's getting overstepped right here because I I want to figure out this time frame right now and because how where's the wire at? Like what is it? Has the show has the show started yet or is that after the sh- it shows over? Okay. So everybody knows. I was gonna say I feel like that would draw a ton of attention to to Baltimore just mm, from that alone. That draws attention to the violence. Okay. So we had a tension. I really think there was a window between like 2015 and like when the election started Mm. for this presidential cycle that we were focused on solutions. And so that's what I am. I I talk about solutions more, but I use essentially um, (laughs) violence porn to to get into Mm. the discussion about police reform and what we need to do. So I kind of just tell the stories, not enabling anybody. I'm, I'm not a snitch, which mm-hmm. is obviously a, a, a critique I've had. You know, people on the left will will, will, will criticize the, that extremely heavily that I, I'm not a snitch. That you're not snitch. telling people on people. Right. Mm. But I mean, people have been doing that for, for centuries. It's completely ineffective. Um, once I'm a snitch, once I'm an actual rat, then nobody in policing will ever listen to me. Mm-hmm. So interesting. That's why I haven't done that. Interesting. So again, the the let's talk again about or go back to what then started to get you that public uh, notoriety. What were the things that you were talking about revealing at the time? Yeah. So that was the violence porn. So mm-hmm. talking about things that I've witnessed that cops deny. And I think what I was. Oh, I remember what it was. I was frustrated because the 
FOP union, my union, which I'm still a member of. Um, Because mm. I, I whenever That's I get funny. arrested, it's weird how they don't ever stand up and defend me. Like, <laughs> I'm a member. I don't understand. But it's, I guess that's their own bias there. Where was I going? <laughs> <laughs> About what got you that okay, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. So um, the, the union, that they issued this statement, which essentially was like, there's, there's nothing we could have done wrong here. You're crazy to blame these officers. And what happened with Freddie Gray is he was essentially arre- arrested, chased down in the street for suspected of drug dealing. He didn't have any drugs on him. So they, they uh, threw him in a van and gave him this bullshit charge, which really isn't. It's like having a, a spring assistant knife, which is a complete bullshit charge. And so they put him in a van. He dies in the van on the way to booking, to, to jail, to be processed. And they wanted to deny all responsibility. But like, this is a situation where it's like, no, there is no fucking possible way that your police department is not responsible to get somebody to the prison cell safely mm-hmm. and intact. You know, the right. idea that you can deny responsibility under this situation, like the moment we arrest somebody, they are in our custody. Their life is in our hands. Their freedom is in our hands. We have the absolute responsibility to ensure their safety. That mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. So I said, if I was just thinking to myself, if you want to deny the shit that we do, let's be honest about all the shit that we've all seen. You know, that, I mean, like, come on, this is surface shit. Mm-hmm. Like, let an officer deny this stuff. So, you know, I just started kind of tweeting those things that I've seen, you know, and been around and not said shit about. And it, the, the, one of the main things there is, like, I'm the prototype. I have zero use of force complaints against me in the city of Baltimore, working in the hood, making 496 arrests in five years. I arrested an average of 100 people a year when I was on the street. Okay. Zero use of force complaints. That's a lot of arrests, dude. If I'm still an asshole. Is that normal? How many is that compared to a normal cop? That sounds like a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, like, policing is probably, like, again, it's the same as every other job. So there are less than 10% of us that do all the work. Oh, I see. <laughs> right? so, yeah. so you were one of the most arresting officers, if you will. Oh, I certainly wasn't a leader. There were people that were way more dedicated oh, wow. than I was. I, I mean, I would have been in that that top 10%, but I would have been floating at the 10, 9% range. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't in the, in the top. These wow. guys would, would be crazy and work overtime, and I wasn't an overtime fan. Wow. So What's it like to be, because uh, I feel when I hear all these cases of, Issues against police officers and, you know, there's issues of racism and, you know, overuse of force. Uh, and we see videos uh, many times of, of what seems to be blatant, uh, you know, problems. I also at the same time think to myself, like, it's got to be hard to be a police officer to have th- that kind of discretion. But then to mm. deal in those situations when you're, you know, arresting 100 people, you know, was it a month that you say a or, year, yeah. a year when you're arresting 100 people a year, that's that's only a small percentage of the amount of counters that you have or situations that you're in, what's that What's that got to be like? How does that sh- change and shift your mindset and how you see things? Yeah, I mean, that's actually quite deep. <laughs> if you really want to get into all that. I, I mean, would because it's rare that we get somebody who's as honest mm-hmm. as you are who's mm-hmm. done that kind of work. So, so I, th- I think you have, you have like an emotional aspect to it and then you have... I guess the the normal work idea of what you're doing. And it's even like me, I'm not criticizing police officers. I'm not criticizing human beings. I'm criticizing the system. Mm. So it's the system that we have to have a problem with. But I, I think what we do as cops is that becomes part of our identity. Like being a cop is who you are. And when that becomes attacked, it feels like even the criticism of, of, 
like policing of whether you send somebody to, to jail for having a flower in their pocket. Mm-hmm. If, if you're going to do that, that still becomes who you are. Like you have to believe that those things are good because not only are you out there executing that every day, you're, you're probably your parents did. This is usually family issue. So there's all this, this cultural around you mm-hmm. that's telling you that. Good point. So it's like, if I'm doing this, it, you know, I have to believe it's good. Otherwise it fucks with your psyche. Well, yeah. I mean, and it's who you are. That's why cops and soldiers, I think one reason why you have a lot of these suicides is also because they've lost their identity they, they, and it hasn't been replaced with something else. So what I try to do is say policing is bad, but we can replace it with, with these other ideas to try and, and fuel that. Now, I'm really fucking terrible at effectively communicating that message, Mm-mm-mm. but that's what I'm trying to do is get that aspect. Now, so me personally, when it comes to that side is I never took the job personally. I never integrated it as part of my identity, which was just... I don't know. I mean, that's just bullshit happenstance from something that happened when I was younger. I was in the same way. Maybe we can blame the Marine Corps. I mean, I remember getting off that bus and like them yelling at you to get on the footsteps and like, I couldn't help but think like, you're a fucking grown man yelling at me like a child. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, there's no way I'm going to, like, I'm going to do this because I want to do it. And it sounds like fun. Like, I want to go have the rifle and run up the hill. But if you think that, that like. Being I'm, honest, though, it's so, I mean, it's yeah. so true as a kid. You know what I'm saying? That's what you're thinking about. Let's be honest. Totally. Right. So I want to do that. Right. But the idea that I'm going to run around going, oorah, oorah, fucking Marine Corps. Like, no way. So I wanted to do everything I could to mask myself from being a Marine when I was away from Marines. And I wanted to do that in policing. Like, my neighbors would not have been able to tell you I was a cop. Now, do you believe that's necessary, though? Do you think it's necessary? That I they- think it was very beneficial. So I did two things that I thought were beneficial psychologically and helped me get to some better places. One was I, I ended up moving out to the county, which or the actually another state technically, but because a lot of cops, because there's no middle class in these cities. So you can't afford to live where you are. You have to go to the suburbs. Mm. But what that did is that gave me a 45 minute drive every day where I kind of transitioned uh, a mentality so I would be home. It's like two versions of you. Yeah, totally. Mm. There was definitely two versions. And I would kind of like transition on the way to work. And then on the way home, it would be my time to like, even sometimes it would be complete silence, just kind of like decompress. I mean, we've seen things like nine-year-old girls with their brains splattered on the ground. Mm. And that shit is really what lingers with you. And I think police have it really bad when it comes to, to psychological trauma from what, what the job does. But I think that thing helped me, that, that wind down allowed me to transition out of that mode and, and help me prevent from bringing those things home with me, which is obviously another thing cops do extremely bad is take that home. But I, I put myself into the shit well, I mean, isn't that where the fun is? You know, I grew mm-hmm. up watching The Wire. I didn't want to work writing a county mountie writing tickets to you guys. I mean, what the fuck's the point of that? I didn't want to do that. And, and if I, so if I was going to go, I wanted to be the one that would, Omar would come around the corner and face, you know, wow. that's how I felt. Wow, like wow. that's the way I was. So you got a big chip right around there. Well, I mean, I don't know. How, who, how old are you right there when you're thinking like this? 24, 25. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was always the kind, I would find the biggest person on the block, challenge them, punk them, do something I could to be the boss on that block. Cause I mean, that's what policing is. It's, it's violence. Now, where does that, where does that personality stem from? Does that go all the way back to your childhood? Like, did you, did you get bullied? Did you bully get growing up? What was home life like for you? No, I would say that it, I was, <laughs> I know I, you're a deep thinker. I know you have this. I would say I liked violence. 
and I tried to funnel away that society accepted it. Yeah, but why? Where did that come from? I know you know. You're a smart guy. No, no, no. I think people are all biology plus their experiences. So that might have been all biology. Oh, you think so? And and, and so I, I think we're all born with a plate of what our DNA does. And then every experience we have. So this is why there is no free will. But the reason that is so important is literally we have an obligation to the per, every single person next to us because we are providing an experience that fundamentally changes who they actually are. And those experiences throughout time, they could have been like good things. Like I could have seen, you What's know, That's a very just, cool way to look at it. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's the right way. <laughs> because that's what everybody Yeah, but do you think everyone thinks like that though? No, not at all. I think we're not there yet. So that's why I wrote the book. And the first chapter of my book is free will and autonomy. Because I don't think we're autonomous creatures. So I got into this, this thing where I am, I, and I think we're all that way. Like somebody has ADD and somebody has, you know, a Tourette's or whatever. But these are all just, I think they're all just differences in us. And the, the real trick is is focusing even our flaws to an area where our flaws are advantageous. So you're saying we're not autonomous and we don't have free will? You're saying we're just kind of operating in this like fateful path? Not fate. We're an equation. Okay. So we are the end result of what we were born with, right? So that's going to give us genetic predispositions, sure. like being violent or your medulla oblongata doesn't get, you might get ornery as you, you know, because alligators don't have all that teeth and no toothbrush. Right. So, you know, <laughs> you, you can have all those things, but then you stop and going on from then you are formulated by how everyone else experiences and the things that happen sure. to you add to what that biology was. So, so nature and nurture combined. Right. It's always combined. Sure, sure. And so like the easiest example I say of this when you talk about, so do you know that uh, identical twins who have the exact same set of DNA do not have the same fingerprints? Mm -hmm. The reason they don't have the same fingerprints is because fingerprints are formed in the womb. So the, the baby is, or the fetus is in the womb, presses up against the sides, presses itself, and that's what creates your fingerprint pattern. And so even in the womb, those fetuses, just those mere touches on the, on the barrier of the womb, they ended up changing fundamentally and, and ruining the identicalness of those twins. They are not identical. They do not have the same fingerprints. Are you familiar with uh, some of the science and studies on epigenetics and how our, our experiences change, how our DNA is expressed? I've heard uh, scientists refer to it as like, your DNA loads the the gun, but how you 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 live and whatever is it's what pulls the trigger. Yeah, I mean that would certainly make sense as you have the way you're explaining it right now. <laughs> now I've heard epigenetics explained as like, oh, my mom was beaten by my dad, so I know what it's like to get punched in the face as that's a not spouse. No, and it's no, like, no. 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 <laughs> so like, sure, stress can literally change your DNA. Right. But we're getting into things now that's even more dramatic than that when it comes to biology, that we can probably unlock the keys to switching sexes in mid-stride. Mm -hmm. we, we can, um, we, we, our DNA, I, I forget whether it's seven or nine percent is actually from other species and viruses where they get into us and then their code goes into our code our dna has like banana dna in it it has zika dna in it, it has all these things and like our bodies are are uh, are not even the mass of us there's more bacteria and other creatures in us we are more like uh, Voltron or something. We are. Hell yeah. We <laughs> we we You're are like. Kid, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're like this overarching. We're like the Borg, 
but mm-hmm. we think we're one and, and we're, we're, we're unaware of all those other influences. If your bacteria in your asshole is not optimal, your life will be dramatically changed and You're provide fine. you different experiences. <laughs> Adam, Adam, there you go. Adam has no bacteria. Yeah, he uses wet wipes. Every time. That's right. So, That's right. so you it's talk gross. a lot, uh, you've talked a lot in the past about uh, some of the, the racism and race issues that you saw uh, as a police officer. Let's dive into that a little bit, and in, in maybe even in this context, you know, there, there's some pretty alarming statistics when we talk about race. Um, a couple that you know I've I've read in the past, and maybe you can correct me if these are wrong, but I have read them. I think they're from the FBI uh, crime statistics. So it was something like African Americans make up uh, under 15 percent of the population, but commit something like over 50 percent of the uh, you know the violent crime. For example, do you think that that has an impact on uh, you know, maybe epigenetics later on, and maybe that's perpetrating a problem that doesn't seem to want to change or go away. Or do you think it's a system that's causing a lot of that? Okay, so I'll make it with a first a couple of blanket statements. Yes. Um, I, I after traveling this nation, I've been to almost all fifty states over the last few years, talking to people, real people, not mm-hmm. like media, because they're going to lie to shit to you. Of course. Right. Um, I don't find racism in this country. Really. Oh, okay. I, I find a lot of culturalism. And but I I, hmm. I think the racism is extremely rare. Wow, has your wow, has your position totally changed? Yeah. over time. Or? No, because the thing is, the system is racist, which I keep trying to say. I okay. don't even think like when you point out these instances hmm. of somebody being like, even if they have racist actions, mm-hmm. you don't have any place to say that was fueled by a racist intent. Okay, so I mean, my actions were racist; they were disproportionate and racist. Hmm. So. How so? And How so were they were they disproportionately racist? Four hundred ninety six of those people I locked up, like four hundred and fifty of them were black males. Mm, mm. Uh, so you mean it's just disproport? It's racist in the sense that more were black than white, but not racist in the sense that you were seeking out to arrest more black than, than white. So here's what's racist mm. about it. Okay. So crime is when you say the FBI statistics. This is why I, I blatantly have no problem saying any criminal justice professor that would like to debate me. Please bring it up. Your field is a religion and an ideology. Mm. It has no science at all whatsoever to it. And that was your, a perfect example. Crime is a measurement of what a police officer does. Okay. It is not a measurement of what citizens do. So even if we say... A, so how so? How so? Right. So this is what literally what the stat is, is what you are saying is, is that black men are arrested 50% more than other people for these offenses. That's literally what you're saying because it's cops arresting them. It is not, we don't, we're not omniscient. We don't know the crime has taken place. What we, the only way we know is homicide. So if you take something like drugs, so we know that white communities, black communities don't, they they use drugs at at roughly the same rate, if not more in the white side. So now do you think there are more cocaine people in possession of cocaine in Wall Street or on West Baltimore. Right, right, right. Okay. And I, I see your point. But but mm-hmm. there's going to be more cops in West Baltimore. Right, so you're measuring what police do. So police arrest black men for offenses. Mm-hmm. Police do not go to Wall Street and arrest those people. So now what happens is, is there are black men in that area for certain reasons. They're black because we had redlining in the past. You had things set up with segregation. So you have the historical things that we didn't change in our systems. We changed our culture quite mm-hmm. effectively. We didn't change these things in our systems. So you have these pockets of disopportunity, essentially, and we clustered the the 
people that we didn't, you know, slaves, lower class. It's really lower class. It's not just, I mean, this shit happens in West Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So it, it's just the lower class. The lower class gets clustered into these areas. And because we force black people into lower classes, then they end up getting the brunt of it. Now, so it's not even if, racism. It's classism. But the race is lingering. Now, if we take, because I am 100% on board with you with the war on drugs. I think, I think it's the single worst assault on liberty that um, that we've ever done in the government to arrest someone, throw them in a cage, or even worse, uh, over doing nothing but hurting themselves, I think is an absolute travesty. But if we take that out and we just look at homicides, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that most, I'd say 90-something percent of homicides are, re- are reported. I'd say most homicides are I, I, probably you, reported. You can safely go around safely, 100. Right, okay. You can go safely go 100. But when, when we look at homicides, there's still a disproportionate... And by the way, most mm-hmm. uh, people kill people of the same race. So it's, this is people kill people that they that they look like. No, but there's people st- kill people that they're familiar with. That they're familiar with, okay. But there's still a disproportionate uh, percentage of uh, like minority, especially black mm-hmm. Americans, that, that commit more of the homicides... You know, do you think that that is, uh, you know, or what do you think that's the result of? Is it the result or that maybe the side effect of the war on drugs because they're more effective and there's, they're affected by by that and there's a black market for it? Do you think that uh, there's there's systemic violence that comes from, you know, the system? I mean, what do you what what is your opinion on that? Yeah, I think some of your epigenetics talk plays into that, okay. Um we're not going to be able to narrow that down because that's going to be on an individual basis. Mm. So. I very much, as a scholar, do not care about outliers and anecdotes. Okay. So here's, we have four car, we, uh, one of the biggest things I've tried to do is figure out what the actual causes of crime is. That's what the change I want to do. I want to stop investigating how a crime is committed and start investigating why a crime is committed. Mm. It's, mm. it's a huge difference. All we do is investigate like how a bank was robbed. We don't investigate or like do why. Yeah. Anything yeah. to end up why this person got there. Right. I mean, you, don't right. pre- you won't prevent robberies. Without figuring out why they have what a great what a great point that is yeah exactly so so that's why like I say our system is entirely Mm. nonsense of what Mm. we're doing we're not even investigating why something happened so Mm. the four correlates that there are number one is environmental poisoning highlighted most most uh, abundantly by lead poisoning now there are studies that say that lead poisoning accounts for ninety percent of the violence in the world. Um, This is I've read this by the way since we went from leaded to unleaded gasoline. Uh, we saw a dramatic decrease in violence. Okay, so I'll, I'll give that. That, that 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 story real quick. So this is everywhere with unleaded gasoline. So one reason the theory I don't I haven't I don't know enough about the rise, but they also comp- say that this is the rise of violent crime was when we put the lead lead in the gas. What I've heard this. Yeah, yeah lead causes people to be more violent. Right. Yeah. So what what ended up happening is in 1972 the CAFE standards went in to reduce emissions. Part of that was taking the lead out of the gas. It has a 19 year delay because this only matters when you poison children. So that's why lead paint poisoning and stuff like that still matters so much is because it's only for an adult. Now, uh, I mean, a child. Adults will get sick, but they won't have a propensity for crime because they don't have the biological effects of it lowers the size of your umdula oblongata. It, it does, uh, I forget all these other things, it's just tons of, of different medical problems that can that lower your control of impulsivity and, and empathy, things like that. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. and that's literally what lead does as an adult. It just makes you sick and can kill you. But so the kids do this and you have a 19 year delay, 19 to 22 year delay, because you got to be able bodied males before they can carry that out. And so the reason it's always males that commit crime too. I mean, we're obviously physically capable. We have testosterone. We're dumbasses. Mm -hmm. We all know this. Mm -hmm. Okay. So after you get the lead out and you have start having the, the nineties had that nationwide reduction in crime. That's just staggering. I mean, it just drops off. 
Okay, and then in the early 90s, late 80s, the New York City Health Department began fighting lead poisoning at a higher rate than anybody else in this entire country. New York City is uncoincidentally, 19 years later, the safest city in the entire country. Which is a huge uh, contrast to where they were before. To every other city, too, that is having problems. Baltimore, Chicago, L.A., none of these cities attacked lead poisoning. Mm. The only place that did it was New York, and mm. now they are the safest city. Now, here's the other thing that I can put staggering about this at a national level. So this has been tested in Australia. In, in New York, they know it down to the block. They can do this block by block where you were exposed to lead when you were younger. Uh, Australia's done this, confirmed it. England, all over. New Zealand has done it, confirmed it. And most recently, uh, the study in New Zealand was talking about uh, nation- nationally or worldwide mm. wh- where it is. And there are two countries that are still using lead at gasoline today. Yemen and Iran, mm-hmm. Iraq. Oh, oh, wow. So even and those the Middle East was the last places to start using, start getting rid of lead at gasoline. So violence and terrorism is also going to be majority fueled by lead poisoning, wow. not by all these other bullshit issues. Never fucking heard that. So a human beings' number one fundamental ability is a cooperation. We 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 shit on ourselves and act like we're violent, and it's it's kind of crazy. We are the most cooperative species that's ever existed on this planet. We look at ants with amazement but step back and look at what we fucking did you know this whole world is transformed it's constantly getting more peaceful we're utilizing things better people are living longer higher quality of living all around the world so really what we want to do is cooperate and there's all these things that fuck up our biology this lead poisoning is your biology Mm -hmm. and so that's the same thing in all these cities so you know right now in flint they're still going to be having violent crime in 19 years baltimore is still going to be having violent crime in 19 years chicago all these places will be because they are not fighting lead poisoning. There is not a single police department in this entire world that is fighting lead poisoning right now. The number two correlate to violent crime is income inequality. It is not poverty. We like to look at it as being poverty, but there are plenty of poor tribes in Africa that don't own a fucking apple between all of them and commit no violence. They're also not lead poisoned. Shocker. So it's when you see inequality. Baltimore literally has no middle class. Chicago has no middle class. L.A. has no middle class. So all you have is income inequality staring you in your face constantly. So that fuels certain things. The other thing is local instability. Local instability is things like fathers being taken out of the home, the inability to drive down the street without being pulled over by cops, um, jobless markets, things like that are, are the third factor. And then the fourth is the actual police themselves because they are the answer of violence via violence. Did you just put all this together? I've heard you on multiple interviews and I haven't heard this. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard you talk about this yet. <laughs> so this is within the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. So been mostly my scholarly And heavily work. researching this. Right. This yeah. is all I do, like 24-7. Yeah. I mean, I'm a scholar. That's that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. Lead, lead is an interesting one. They've made that connection uh, actually quite strongly. Decades. In the past. Yeah, that's that's a well-known one. Um, and then you, you mentioned the instability. One of the most accurate uh, predictors of whether or not a kid is going to grow up uh, violent or in jail or, you know, not successful is if they don't if they grow up in a single parent household. And that doesn't matter how much money or how little money you have. Not having a father in the home is a uh, is the best predictor. It's not it's not the only predictor, but it seems to be one of the best uh, socio predictors as to whether or not a kid is going. Yeah, and I would totally. The thing about some of those issues is we have to be careful about whether something is a symptom or a predictor. So we do these things now um, with gender. It's a really good one. So we say like things like uh, companies who are diverse are more efficient or operate better or have better ideas. Sure. 
But we get this because in the past, the companies that have been successful have had diverse things. So the diversity is a symptom of their success, not a cause. And what we try to do is we try to force the different genders or whatever into those roles, which is is not going to fix the problem at all because you end up making it actually worse and not bringing in those people that we want because you're looking for a symptom instead of uh, the cause. And that's the same thing with fatherless homes. It's not having a father there is good because it's actually involvement. It's not actual presence in the house, whether the father's involved or not. But the father not being involved, the majority of that, okay, nothing is blanket. These are all just what is most likely is because they are subject to a symptom that of the system that's bad. So the reason they're not there is because somebody like me was hunting them down. Right. The reason they're not there is because they can't get a job, so they had to go do something else. So all of those legacy issues that remain in the system mm-hmm. exactly like compound on people like kind of like hurdles. And and I don't want to get it too into black because black is also just another one of those symptoms of of low classness. It does it's it's they took it, they had low class people and they put blackness into low class and kind of clustered those people back mm-hmm. that way. It didn't happen the other way around. So they're more representative of, of the people that the government classes as lower. I mean, the people in, in West Virginia that can't get jobs and aren't home with their family, sure. they're going through the exact same shit. There's still more white people locked sure. up than black people in this country. We, we, we got to really drop the race thing. So when we talk about the race thing, the other issue is I strongly am adamant for one, race is not biological. It is not fucking real. It is a social construct. And the mere use of the terms, whether you're black or not, assures the hierarchy of racism will be imposed and not only if you identify as black you have you're not only identifying as something else black is is, is already predefined to be that which stands against whiteness so you're mm. actually remaining controlled because you must be the opposite of whiteness and that, and if whiteness is being rational you might start saying some mm. fucking crazy shit like you know is happening in public right now. Right, right, right. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because. So what the fuck we, do we do? Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> this, wait, where this. do we, where do we yeah. start? Yeah. Experiences. Where do we start? Experiences I mean. for each person, and it sounds stupid, but like somebody like me, they often get on me because I can talk to somebody and I'm not getting along with the person that I'm talking to, right? Mm. But I'm not fucking talking to them. I'm not talking to you guys right now. I'm talking to the audience and the sure. people that are mm. listening. All of those experiences for every single time you guys come into this office, sure, you might only be talking to one another when you're in here, but all of those words are an experience for somebody else. And I don't think that that we should think that any of us are the knight that's going to go in there and change it. We're just like one of the farmers tilling the field and hopefully you know, that figure will come up. But to think that we can be that figure is is probably, it's just really unlikely. It requires so many other coincidences to it, fall in place. It's funny because, you know, you're, you're talking, we talked about fatherless uh, homes and you're saying it's more of a, a symptom rather than a cause of certain things. And it's funny when you look at uh, the, the rate of single parent household really started to take off when we started to um, subsidize single parent households and the war on drugs. And you can see that clearly, for example, African-American households, for a lot of American history, uh, their, their, their single-parent household rate was lower than that of white Americans. Um, and then it started to really take off, and now it's something like 70-something percent of, of white Americans. How do, do you, so you advocate for ending the war on drugs. Are there any things that you think that we can do concrete uh, for police officers that might help uh, things out? Like, Do you think body cameras will be, in, will be in effect? You don't. No. Body cameras are a tool. Any tool, it works for the person who controls it. Um, you don't control the body cameras. The police do. 
So they're mm. a tool that will be used to their advantage, not to your advantage. Um, that's one reason why you don't see a lot of videos. They happen to not work every single time. Really? Like, I mean, dude, yeah. I had dash cameras in a couple of cars, <laughs> especially back then. You were, that thing was never going to work. Are you crazy? Mm. You know, like, um, and, and you're going to do things to intentionally. Batteries always dying. Yeah, right? or the wire, you <laughs> know, the wire gets cut. Of course, you know, so that that's a known thing that mm. happens. And so you can try and go around that. But what you ended up doing there is you're still saying then I want to enact our violence in the way that is cloaked the most because there's no camera in their prison cell when they're getting treated, excuse me, getting treated like shit for the next however many years or being subject mm-hmm. to a system. So the body cameras, yeah, if you control them, they could be good. I just have a lot of leeriness about uh, the people's privacy when it comes to body cams. Yeah, mm-hmm. People say they're saying shit like streaming live. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Mm-hmm. You're going to stream the world? You're going to stream the Orwellian future live from the perspective of the cops? Yeah. Fuck out of here. What are you oh, thinking? You That's know? a good point. That's, That's a fucking a really good point. <laughs> yeah, we'll be like China. Right. Or, oh. or Singapore. Something, yeah, something yeah. worse than China. I mean, China's actually gotten capitalistic and it's kind of westernized. Yeah. Oh, uh, did you did you see oh, though? They're starting to the rating recording. system. Yeah, they have a rating system, and they have these like facial recognition cameras that will automatically fine you if you jaywalked. And they have this. England's already been doing that for yeah decades. Yeah, no, isn't that crazy? So I mean, like that's and we have social media where we put our stuff on their volunteer. Right, right, right. They don't even need to do it to Americans. <laughs> yeah, we'll <laughs> volunteer it. Yeah, Here's yeah. my on Facebook. butthole models. Is that what our boy calls them? Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's true though. Yeah. But I mean, your point about the the, the fatherless homes too. I think that like, this is the points where where Justin's boy, Jesse Lee Peterson. This is where these areas were like, he's right. And I feel like anyone that's trying to, we're so tribalistic that even a point like that where somebody like him is right, we'll ignore it because we just other the, other him like like he's othering everybody else. And we're just kind of being hypocrites in that same system. But he grew up in a world where the fathers were in their home and mm-hmm. isolated on their, their ideas and getting the, the black community and isolating and, and doing what you can to progress forward. Mm-hmm. He believes ideas like, yeah, you're not going to change and, and have f- family success in one generation. You're just mm-hmm. kind of incrementally stepping up. And if black people start it at a lower footstep, he's like, shut the mm-hmm. fuck up and, you know, just keep climbing. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and I, I, I can understand that. I feel that way. Sure. I'm a poor white kid and I'm constantly told because I was I'm white and male that somehow this is some kind of advantage on me my entire life that, you know, like when I've been, I've had the whole time I was in the police department, all my bosses were black, you know? So it's like every time Mm. I get into an environment where they say something like you have to listen to black people. Well, this is one reason why we have to recognize that a a race is not real. Um, Your status as a minority individual does not give you enhanced knowledge on a subject. If you're involved in a car crash, you don't suddenly understand physics better Mm -hmm. than somebody that studied physics. Have you gotten any pushback from that sentiment? Yeah, I guess I get more pushback from that probably than anything else. Yeah, that racism. Yeah, which is stupidly difficult for me to deal with now because now it's like I can actually talk to the right and I can't talk to the left. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm in the twilight zone now. I have no idea what (laughs) happened. You can hang out with mine, Palmer. Where are you? (laughs) Where do you lie? (laughs) So, I mean, I really have been facing that that cultural thing that stands in, in like in the way mm-hmm. of that progress. Well, let's talk about cultures then. What do you see in in the different cultures within America? Um, you know, what are the different values that you see, um, and is that even important to examine, or is it is it important just to absolve all of it? Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think I see different values. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, th- I think we ultimately want the same things, but we're told these narratives. I mean, that's the whole thing. Like, race was cr- literally created by the elites and the government. Uh, the first record we have of race was 1667 in Virginia. They um, they had slave class that was white and black and everything, and they were trying to justify how, figure out how they could legally make it that the white people would stop being slaves, and, and they still needed their slaves. So who was the other? It was the black guys because we already had that thing. So we need to make a category to make them different. Mm. And that's when they got to be black was in that law only 350 years ago. So where the hell is it even going? Oh, uh, so cultures, it's, not, it's yeah. not, it's not real. Like none of that is real. Our actual culture, like, people just want to be safe. They, they want their family and their children to go to school and have a good education. And they want to feel like they, if they work hard, then things will go well for them. Mm. And I, I just don't find that happening anywhere differently. And so I go, no matter what city I go to, they all tell me about how their city is unique. And then they, they go on to rattle off the same list of problems that I heard in 49 other previous cities, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And it's like, I don't think we're different. I think we all really want the same thing. And we're allowing the others of, of, uh, the, the elites essentially to control these narratives and to say, so if you're liberal now, then you blame Trump. And if you're, I mean, and if you're Republican now, then you blame, blame the crazy left. You're both right to a certain extent, but you're both extremely wrong in thinking that that's a different person. If we if we don't focus on just the ideals, then we're arguing against individuals, and that's a huge frustration to me. I like the last two three years of my life, I've been dealing with people arguing about me and criticizing me, and will not focus at all on what the fuck I'm saying. And I'm mm. always just like, look, I when in any of these conversations that I purport to be a good person, like like <laughs> criticizing me is like totally. That's easy. It's, it's fair not, game. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> right. like, and it's so. been it's been conceded to. Yeah. Move on yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to the solution. Look at thing. the big picture, right? Yeah. And we we won't really seem to get there now. So I would really like us to step back and, and really embrace the idea that Americanism does unite all of us. We are all Americans. And I, if you're sitting there going, well, I'm African-American, I'm this American, the whole fucking point is that you're American and right. the rules here are different. Like, there's no cultural appropriation in America. Shut up. Mm-hmm. It's the point of the entire country is that we appropriate all the cultures so we make something better. And that's the way any of this is. It's not about that I'm right. It's that I have done a bunch of research and figured out things that are wrong. And then the next person needs to figure out more things that are wrong and chew it up together. We don't need to take these things all on this personal, individual, step-on-each-other kind of idea. We we can all just be Americans trying to make America better. I agree uh, completely. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. do you think... Why do you think they try to separate us so much? Why, why do you think they, they want... They say men versus women, gay versus straight, black versus white, you know? Why do you think they push that so hard... And uh, is it because people like to identify that way? Or do you think that they're trying to manipulate us by separating us? I think that we have our internal issues, which are, I don't think we have a culture anymore or who knows we ever did. We don't challenge ourselves in mass. So if I don't, we, we go around telling people all these things that we know and all these things we believe and these opinions you have. But I'm not, I just can't respect someone's opinion that hasn't challenged themselves yet and challenged their own ideals and put them. So I'm often trying to challenge people about their identities, but they haven't challenged their identity to themselves yet. 
So I my words are kind of flying over their. Uh, I don't want to like downgrade them and say it's flying over their head, but we we do definitely need to get into a place where we critically think and challenge our own thoughts and beliefs. I mean, this is like basic Socratic method stuff, but we get away from that, and I think that's because of money. I mean, there are people now that are buying up and reading three books about Trump that are completely false, absolute nonsense. But yet, because we're in these tribes and that tribe says they hate, well, they can make a bunch of money selling this book and then that people can sell a bunch of money. I mean, what I I talk about doesn't get a lot of listens, doesn't get a lot of views because I'm trying to talk about ways to bring us together when we've kind of been indoctrinated to think about ways we're better than the other person. Yeah, Mm. yeah, it's it's more profitable. Are you optimistic? Do you think we're on the right track or do you think we're, are you, how do you feel about it? Two years ago, I really felt we were on the right track. Um, maybe we need what Trump is doing to like be uh, like the kick or, or something, whether whether good, bad, and different. What do you like, mean by that? What do you mean? Sort by of that? banding us together. Yeah, uh, I mean, so even if it's if it's, if it's rallying us around or making us like, what if maybe afterwards we can stand back and when people will be like, look. The dude ended up having, what if he has eight years of good policy mm-hmm. and all everybody did was shit on him? Well, I think that will expose it, mm-hmm. you know, that it expose our, our tribalistic things. And maybe if it's out there, we can do it. I think we're talking about it more. I think social media helps, but I also think that social media hurts mm-hmm. and gets us clustered in the more. Like I found myself doing that. Like, I find my, I don't want to, but I like did a Facebook purge. Right? Just like find myself just starting deleting some of the shit I just couldn't tolerate seeing anymore. And, and then I, 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 I mean, I'm the person that deleted a 50,000 Twitter follower account. <laughs> oh, so right. like, I just, I, I wish we could change, but I, I, I'm certainly. Now talk about that. Not very smart business decision that you're selling a book <laughs> and you do talk about what's going through your head. That makes, Because you're a very intelligent guy. Right. And you have to know that's not a smart move. If you're trying to sell your book. It's not a smart move now. Um, I'm very convinced that being authentic is the future. I think mm. the science says that as well. Our current president would suggest that as well. And we agree. It's one of our core values. <laughs> yeah. So stay authentic. I really believe that it, 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 it might, I might be dead before it matters, but if I were the sellout and influenced now, I, I don't think my words biases and prejudices would be pure. I'm not trying to make money. That book exists so that people can reference it. I literally put it out on, I, I haven't finished it yet. I have 50, the first 15 chapters on a podcast where I, I'll just talk about it and go over it. I'm not trying to bogart the information. It's out in different articles for for the most point. The, my point is that everything I do when I create material is just to make the material there so other people can reference it if they so desire, hoping that other people will be able to point them that way. I just won't be able to do that myself mm-hmm. and get that information out there. But I mean, deleting the account, I felt like things just got to vitriol and Twitter was a platform that wasn't working for solutions. And I can see myself, I'm a blunt fucking instrument. I mm. don't know why that gets misperceived that I'm going to have a tongue that's not harsh. But you know, if I'm only taken in two sentence snippets, Right. Don't, don't just, yeah. Don't you it find comes that off the, really the biggest harsh. problem with Twitter, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Everything is misconstrued. Yeah. So I say things like races aren't real. Crime mm-hmm. is a measurement of police activity, you know, not citizen activity and all these things where it's just, we know it. But if you're not kind of taken through that softly, I, I don't think it's effective. Has it been, has it been challenging for you? Like, how has it challenged you personally? Because you came out, you did all these podcasts, you talked about all these different things. 
I'm sure you had people attacking you like crazy. You're, you're saying you deleted your your 50,000 Twitter account, uh, which is worth lots of money, like Adam was saying, because you said it got vitriolic. Like, how's that been for you? Has it been stressful? Yeah, I mean, I really, like, I have, I think I'm still in the middle of, like, kind of stepping back and, like, re-figuring out, like, who I am in, in the discussion mm-hmm. and, and what what my role would be. Um, the misperception uh, of my care and concern, like, I don't know if it's just people want to find a reason to not listen but it, it comes to be like oh trying to make money or or making you know getting profits off of, of black exploitation and all that stuff so i i think i tried to protect myself and started like controlling my own words um and that everything I, I think a lot of what people liked about me the first time they saw me on on rogan that the publicity took away hmm. and and so i've been trying to figure out how to get back to that place in in a world that will only focus on the one word I slip on mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. or or will not be looking they're literally take like a Kavanaugh and, and you're more worried about secret accusations that have absolutely no evidence or something to right. tear well, somebody down because they know, they know the controversy is what will drive ratings for them so they're going to be biased just because of that so I right. know that if I get you hanging on something and I argue with you it makes for better TV so that's and, what we've done yeah. to media right yeah, yeah, we've you, done that to ourselves you, 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 you came across in your first interview on Rogan as uh, just very honest but also not ready for this explosion of what's going to happen. I don't mean that in the in the slightest. <laughs> I was told that by others. No worries. Yeah, I don't mean that. I don't mean that as an insult. What I mean by that is, you know, there's definitely things that could be could have been easily taken out of context because you were like in the spotlight now. Like now you're in this position where you're going to say things and people, because you're saying things that could mean a lot, like uh, you know, shining a light on things that some police officers do that a lot of people don't want light to be shined on. You got. You were going to get picked apart and get, you know, and, and get torn into pieces. And um, it, you know, as I watched that, I'm like, holy shit! This, I, I can see that he wasn't even ready for what was about to come after him. What was the hardest moment of that? Because you're saying now you're taking a step back and you're kind of like, okay, I need to control my words. Was there one thing that happened that, like, that can't the straw, the straw that broke the camel's back? We're like, all right, fuck this. Yeah, definitely. Um, it doesn't get talked about a lot, but my involvement in Standing Rock. Okay. So. After um, I ended up being asked to to go and help support the protesting in, in Standing Rock, which um, so I talk about policing. Uh, its history is it's actually was fomented and ended up doing uh, three different things. It's the creation and maintenance of oppressed classes and then using those oppressed classes and using them to fund their own oppression. So this is done by like taking cops out of the hood. And and these are the things I get in arguments like Black Lives Matter. They want cops from the neighborhood. Mm. It's like, oh, so you want a cop from the neighborhood that knows everybody. Do you think I lock up my friends? Guys, come on. (laughs) Not going to happen. And and you want that guy to to come from a neighborhood, be subjected to to all all those, those bad things, and then start issuing tickets to your own people mm-hmm. <laughs> so that he can pay his own pocketbook and overtime to make himself not be uh, subjected to the the laws of so cops what we do is we're still poor we're still oppressed class but we're not subjected to the laws like the elites aren't the mm-hmm. elites aren't subjected to the laws period and neither neither are cops for mm-hmm. the most part wow. um and the second thing is um the uh, what was the second one how do i not <laughs> even know my own thing um 
Are you quoting your book right now? No, this uh, is old work. But anyway, the second thing, and, and, and the third thing was the uh, continued genocide of the Native Americans. Mm-mm. So that that was... So you went and protested for that. Right. So th- they were all three of the different, what policing does in that same area being carried out mm. all at once. So it was like, okay, so this is, you know, police-wise, and I got kind of dragged into like an eco-terrorist environmentalist. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm here because the police are shitty. <laughs> I don't really even care about this water issue or well, oil issue what happened like who was coming after so, you with that so well i mean at, at that time um so we started the fundraiser started the veteran stand movement got thousands of vets to go up there raised a million dollars uh to give the, like cover their travel expenses and all the stuff up there and mission was successful largely um there was a bunch of issues up there i thought was ptsd but i can't that's not really the, the, the issue what happened was it was in that part of the movement and actions of any of this kind of reform stuff that I, I, I know there was good people there, but in the higher ups within who had access to me, mm-hmm. the entire fucking group was about their own profit and exploitation mm-hmm. and how they were going to achieve the next step oh. that kind of got their message out there. So you helped them without even realizing it? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. So <laughs> um, This is the straw. Yeah. All oh, right. <laughs> and, and so my whole purpose and the whole thing the whole time is that we're servants. We serve the Standing Rock Sioux Mm. Um, and then like everybody there was talking like how they were going to do shit what they wanted to do and essentially white knighting the issue when it's like uh, uh, we served the Standing Rock Sioux I don't know what the fuck you're talking about mm-hmm. and so with that it ended up like the whole organization ended up collapsing because I couldn't even get people to, to kind of focus on actually serving communities they just wanted to figure out how they were going to get a bigger platform and how they were going to be able to like how, who, who who could go do media like they wanted to be the ones to do the media I would give them a chance and obviously they fall on their face because they couldn't do the media or something like that they didn't want to do the work that was necessary for the people they wanted to do the work that was necessary for them and I started to realize that that was not just true of the standing rock movement that ended up being true of pretty much every single major face you've ever seen when it comes to Black Lives Matter or, um, you know, environmental issues or anything Mm. like that, that none of this shit has been about serving the community and they will attack me because I serve the community, not Mm. them. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of Black Lives Matter, I'd love to ask your opinion. When you see something happen, happen like with Kaepernick and that whole deal and then people burning their Nikes, what do you see when you when you see all that? Do you think that is a see, capitalism wins again? <clears throat> Explain mm. that. Yeah, I mean, so Nike's job is to make money. Colin's job is to make money. They succeeded off of black exploitation. Like those, are, to me, those are the neoliberals that Malcolm X warned us about. You know, I'm not a follower of King. I'm certainly a follower more of X's mentality that. Uh, we can sit there and say that that it's black and it's this and it's Democrat and it's Republican and I don't think it is. It's authoritarian versus liberal, and it's it's about uh, making everybody work together and detecting these things. When essentially, uh, a lot of the tropes about the left I found to be completely true that they they weren't trying to fix these issues. They were they were trying to be the one who controlled what the answers are. So it's the typical thing that you would see is say there's a poor community, people want to help. So they go, I know what they need. Right. They need this, this, and this. Right. right. Vote and, for me. Yeah. And I could not go into a place anywhere in this country successfully and ask any leader to ask what their people want it. You know, it's, you know, it's a good example of that. Um, are you, do you know the history of minimum wage laws? Mm-mm. So minimum wage laws uh, originally were passed to, uh, you know, to prevent black laborers from taking the work from white laborers. So the white laborers saw that the black laborers were taking their jobs and charging less. 
So they passed laws, minimum wage laws, making it illegal to charge less than a certain amount. And because uh, you know the black laborers now had to charge more, the white laborers got the work. And people don't know that. They don't know the history of a lot of these things. But now minimum wage, you know, increasing minimum wage is now purported to, you know, we're trying to help you. We're trying to help people. And in reality, they had, they had such a bad history. So I, it's crazy. It's, uh, you know, power, what do they say? Power corrupts, right? Yeah, and sure. And, and intent versus outcome. Very, very so big. Yeah. We do that a lot. Where look at the law we just passed in California. Did you did you oh, see that? Oh yeah. So uh, we're not going to get into net neutrality, are you? No. I will no, definitely. I will definitely back against that. I, I net neutrality. Just for my two cents in this, in my understanding, is is essentially what the Democrats are trying to do now with the net neutrality law is make it so that we can eventually make this a government controlled thing. Correct. And it's a slow pathway to that. I didn't re- I didn't think I'd agree with you so much. I know. It's <laughs> so weird. That's yeah. great. And and so my big problem is is here is what the old system was. Everyone was equal. Except everyone isn't equal. Mm-hmm. Equal is a huge problem in our my biggest enemy to any kind of reform. What we are looking for, and the right will demonize this word because as they do postmodernism, and I, I'm pretty confident that Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris and all these guys have no fucking clue what postmodernism Mm-mm. even means. Um, where was I going? Uh, uh, <laughs> equal. Neutrality. Oh yeah, yeah. E- yeah. equality, and they, they'll slam the word equality too. So the reason we want equality is because equality is the checks and balancing force. So when somebody gets too weak, they're given more power. When somebody's given getting too powerful, they, they they're stepped down. And and so what what neutrality was doing, uh, it's a bit of a sidetrack, but what that was doing is making everyone equal. And so that meant Netflix paid as much money as you to send out their content. Right, right. Fuck you. Right, right. So what this was yeah. is this is a subscription service. So what what old net, what net neutrality essentially is is a subscription service where every single person is treated individually including Netflix and YouTube. Right. But the I the problem is is like 90% of internet traffic is Netflix, YouTube and porn. Mm-hmm. So what that means is every single person who is paying a cable bill is subsidizing Netflix, right. porn, and uh, I mean, we can we can all agree to subsidize porn. Yeah, yeah, right. oh, of course. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so we'll move on. So they're subsidizing Netflix. It's fundamental. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> There's something, and probably makes there the is world, one thing we can all agree on. Makes the world a hella safer, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, get the energy out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Demons. No, well, what about the law that just just went in California? Oh yeah, they said it's uh, the, and now I'm sure it'll get challenged. But the law is that uh, every publicly traded business or company in California of a certain size, I don't remember what it was, must have at least one woman on the oh, board. Yeah, so they made a law now that you have to have a woman, regardless of you know anything right. qualifications. So remember, women on the board is an outcome from a good company. Mm-hmm. Now, if you force the woman onto the board, it's that's okay. an entirely different paradigm. Right, 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 right. I think the market, I think when we allow things to be free within a certain, you know, uh, within a certain degree, I think the market does a really fucking good job of doing that. You know, when you talk about the internet, for example, if you're going to push out a shit ton of information through the internet, then you just pay more. And that's a market signal, more, you know, supply and demand, right? And I think it does a very good job of that. If you want to know what your your worth is monetarily in a market, 
then you'll know right away, oh, okay, my skills include flipping hamburgers. Looks like my worth, my monetary worth is this much. Oh, wait, my skills are, you know, I'm a, I'm a brilliant, you know, computer programmer or whatever. Looks like my skills are worth this much. The market tends to tell us that, but I don't think people like to face those, those some of those facts, you know? Or that they even get them. Mm. Um, we're blinded to them. I mean, es- essentially, we know that people don't read past the headlines. Mm-hmm. Um, I did one article that was advocating uh, for banning the NFL. Mm-hmm. And the I wrote one the identical articles. They're pretty. They're both long reads. So you know, people don't read anything that yeah. takes twenty minutes <laughs> right, to read. Right. It's like a twenty-one minute. It's too read hard. <laughs> I wrote one title as something like USMC veterans call for an NFL ban, mm-hmm. and then the other article I titled the NFL is not racist. <laughs> <laughs> and they're the exact same article. <laughs> oh wow! What, Just a, what a great test. Oh, wow. What a great. What was the outcome yeah, of this? Oh, it was shared about equally the same. Okay. With oh, wow. about the equal amount of reads. And about oh, the equal brilliant. amount of people bitching to me about the wrongness of each of them. Oh, my <laughs> God. What a social experiment. So, uh, after we're done, I'll show you the, the medium stats. It's pretty funny. Like, you know, they're wow. just like, pretty oh, much that's equal. brilliant. Wow. And I, I shared them like from the same start point and just let them take their natural pathways through. And so people, the whole thing was, is that nobody actually fucking read it, you know? So oh, just because of the headline. <laughs> did you do that with that intention? Like put it out to the No, people? I hope people would read it. It was really good. Um, so the, the article all came, I was supposed to do a video and, uh, that was doing all this on TYT. And then I had my, my, my whole falling out with TYT. Mm. And so the, all that work was just sitting there. And I was like, well, I better just make a good article out of all this work that's sitting there, that was a script. Mm-hmm. Um, so ended up just putting that out and not wasting it because it, it had it has good points, good science, all, all backed up. The main case is that they still operate under uh, a slavery system. They've hidden things in the past and majorly it goes about the CT issue is my main, my okay. main point. Okay. And it's false patriotism. So those two things I have a huge problem in the NFL with, you know, covering up the injuries that's done to the players. Hey, bro, don't ruin my fucking Sundays. <laughs> don't fucking ruin my Sundays. <laughs> but they can okay. fix it. <laughs> it's like yeah. one of my favorite things to do, man. Come no on. tackling. No yeah. tackling. Yeah. Well, you know, hey, we you can shut tackle. Your mouth. <laughs> things like taking the helmets off. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Addressing make, that issue. Make yeah. everybody safe. It's a battery. Absolutely. Isn't that funny? Yeah. yeah. You know, so all those kind of things, I just want to work towards right. it. Or even if you uh, compensate in different ways or you actually want to study it and take it. Like, I think if everyone wants to go smash their brain in, by, oh, fuck it, you have every bit of right to do it's that. It's your I mean, brain. You know, We're still right? Americans. After I, all. I played all the way through <laughs> high school. You know, I loved it. I, yeah, I was I a huge too. fan. And, and I just stopped watching like two years ago because of those things. Like, I just, my whole point is I've realized that like the military became. This essentially the same thing as policing. It's 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 enacting this violent rule over other people in the entire world at the risk of the oppressed classes getting killed. You know, princes don't fight the war; we do. And and when I kept seeing that, like seeing the NFL like throw over all these flags and praise people and like trying to do recruitment shit, I'm like, you're essentially trying to get like my fucking 15 year old little nephew to go die for fucking oil problems. No, like I can't, I can't. You know, like you can fix these things. You don't have to do this bullshit. They're advertised. They're paid to do that. Wow. So, that, I mean, it's just an advertisement form. So the NFL could just say, we're not going to glorify violence anymore other unless it's ours in this format that's voluntary. Yeah, well, now, yeah and I, th- I think people, you know, here's the other thing too we want to consider. We have a lot more power than we think. Like if everybody stopped watching, it would go away, right? If everybody stopped buying a particular product, 
it would go away. If you don't want to see Kim Kardashian on every tabloid and you think it's stupid, well, there's a reason why she's there. It's because we keep buying those damn magazines. <laughs> so we have a lot more power than that ass. Than I, right? I think we're going, I think we're getting, you mentioned earlier though, like two years ago, you were optimistic, which I guess you're implying that you're a little more pessimistic or realist now, because the, the more I think we dive into it and look into it, I, some there's things that scare me, like with the social media now. I mean, it's becoming even more biased, so it's going to be easier to separate and send a message to. Like, can we reverse ourselves out of the direction we're going, or is it? Remember how stupid we are. We we should always <laughs> don't forget. <laughs> remember that. I can't remember. Right. So there's this thing called the prevalence effect, and that's the least something occurs, the more we see it. So one of the good examples that they have of this is a, a test a yes, where there's um, they're, they're having people look and, and t- at these different dots and see whether they're green or not. Mm. And so as they reduce the amount of dots that are actually green, then the people expand their definition of what green is and still end up counting the same amount. So you know, we can see when we do this with like cars, you buy a yellow car and then suddenly you see yellow see cars everywhere. everywhere and you never saw them mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're rare, but now you're aware of its rarity. And mm-hmm. once you're aware of mm-hmm. it subconsciously, then you start to see it more. So I'm afraid that this occurs with like, the media, this will occur with uh, police brutality issues that, that even as we reduce the amount of issues, then people will still end up seeing them as occurring more, which isn't was just steering us away from reality. Yeah, that's a good point because uh, the very reason why certain things are so um, you know shocking and enraging to us, and we share them on social media, is because they don't happen that often. Mm-hmm. I mean, if people were getting murdered out outside your door all the time, or kids were getting kidnapped left and right then one kidnapping in Minnesota wouldn't make the news and people wouldn't share Which is it. why it didn't affect me as much when I left work. Mm. I mean, I would be around that trauma all day long. So eventually a decade into it, you know, you can mop up yeah, like somebody's dead body and you just fucking move on, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so, what do you, so what do you do uh, What do you do now for work? Or is, is it your books or you, your writing? How are you supporting yourself? I know you, you're a retired uh, police officer. You had an injury, I think it was. That's it. <laughs> that's, all I have. that's all I have is my retirement from okay, policing. Okay. Um, what is your pur- what's your purpose now? Just doing this kind of stuff? And I, I don't know. I mean, I really do, I don't know what my purpose is. Um, I'm trying to get as much down as I can. I'm in the middle of a research right now, so I'm just I'm doing my dissertation study. So what are you my, researching uh, right now? It is the disconnect between essentially. So what we know is that people go into police academies with a certain level of morality. Mm-hmm. And then they get all these classes and these classes and this curriculum we know increases people's uh, morality and, and sense of ethics. Mm-hmm. But in policing, they graduate the academy with a lower sense of ethics and morality than they went in. So we're actually corrupting them before they even hit the streets. And you so, try to figure out why. Yeah. yeah. And so this isn't. I mean, essentially, I mean, I know why, but mm. science doesn't work that way. Okay. So, well, so, what's your opinion? Why Why do you think that is? Well, we'll find out um, once the study is done. But uh, so my, my current opinion would be that because uh, our, our culture overwhelms the information. So mm. the bullshit anecdotes that we say to one another and some of the videos they show inducing fear make that overwhelm everything else they were doing. I so I think those courses still work. And then I think there's other influences that, that just wipe out their gains. Mm. Um, but the reason this isn't in any literature is because the only way to know this is to talk to police commanders mm-hmm. and nobody has access to them. And I was able to get access to them because you know, who I am. 
So that enabled that, that science to get in. So once that's done, we'll have that. And then I can really free up my time. I want to like go over these books, be self-critical, try to put as much writing and documentation out as I can while, I mean, while trying to find some, I put in for like 500 jobs. I'll never, I don't think I'll ever get a job. Mm -hmm. Um, What are your thoughts on religion? I'm a complete atheist. So, but my, my general saying is I'm an atheist doing my best Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, that sounds that's pretty a, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's, it's not a bad. Ex- not a, bad you should rap. explain that though. Yeah. That's actually real. That's really cool, but you should explain what you mean by that. Yeah. I mean, I certainly think the vast majority of lessons that the Jesus character was giving us, and I, I certainly don't believe that person ever even existed, uh, is that those basic principles of, of loving one another. I mean, where would Jesus be? He, he would be with the whores and the crackheads and the heroin addicts in the city. And, but I don't see a lot of Christians down there doing that shit. Mm-hmm. So if our goal, my goal is not, even if I believe in that shit, I would not want to be a Christian. I would want to be like a Jesus in it or something. You know, like, <laughs> you, you, like the whole organized. So any idea with religion, my buddy, Roberto Alejandro just wrote a really excellent book on this on this topic about how the fundamental underpinnings of religion have led to a lot of things it's not published yet so i can't can't even like talk about it much but how the underpinnings of religion have fueled these ideas that that lead to ultimate othering so as soon as you have a a religion like christianity you are automatically saying that what your worldview is more rational and right than everyone else's and that immediate othering makes it so that you can do things to others so john locke his influences as a Christian on the American foundation was that he, he led to the justification of slavery from a Christian mindset because what happened was is he believed and, and passed down to our forefathers that the um, like people who were rational and Christian were one thing and then everybody else was less than human if sure. you weren't rational and fell into that. Now there were Christians that to be fair that fought for the relief for the ending of slavery and they did use the sure. you know all you know we've all been created in God's image it's also what's been believed to to have fueled or or created the concept of uh, you know the individual and individual liberties uh you know much of that is uh, is anchored in the Judeo-Christian roots. But I, I think a lot of it has to do with just how people like to use shit. Mm-hmm. You know, you sure. can mold, mold it. So and- all of these are tools for othering. Mm. And I need to, my, ultimately, I don't think I can get ahead in any of these discussions without tearing down those walls of othering. Mm. And and so the reason we, why colonial Western colonial civilization justified the taking of the lands from America, for instance, from the Native Americans, was because since they were not Christian, they were less than human. Therefore, they couldn't own the land because all Christians have divine right over the land and its animals. Mm-hmm. So the, any tool that enables you to make someone else your enemy is going to do it. It's necessarily going to happen. So, so I say the moment race, the use of the term race, for instance, any social construct imposes that you will have the, mm. those biases and prejudices in. So mm. even going genders, I, I, I argue completely genders are fluid. Mm. Um, the idea that we say man and woman is just a generalization to kind of get you into the ballpark of where we are. We all are complete individuals. You have femininity and you have masculinity overlaying all these other things. Um, sex is, 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 is the level, you know, for instance, um, I'm not gay, mm-hmm. so I don't care how attractive Blair White is. Mm-hmm can't do it man there's right. a, there's a dick there right you know? <laughs> yeah. and um i don't care um how much i like that really butch kind of beard dyke up you know in oregon mm. can't do it man ain't gonna happen but if i had to choose 
I'm going with the actual female, mm. you know, yeah. like, so, you know, all those things are, are these spectrums of who, so if you were to just say, I'm a man, would that make you, would that, would, would you be able to understand why I wouldn't have sex with someone as beautiful as Blair White if I had to, but would lump some lumberjack female from it? No, it doesn't classify any of that. So we're all these individuals that you're saying, and those groups deny that. Right. So do you, you believe in like relative morality or are you more of an objective morality? Definitely would probably be more relativist. Okay. I don't, I don't know where anything would be objectively moral. Yeah. I well, here, think of one. now here's the thing that with that is that relativism is, a, is a, can be a very slippery slope. People can start to justify all kinds of things. You know, you have you anecdotally know. though. Well, so society is about what all of us have agreed upon. People will always violate that. We need to care more about what our society does, not what individuals do, because society is providing the experiences that will change those individuals throughout time. Yeah, but isn't society just a collective, uh, collective no, of individuals? It's no, a collection of different we, people. If we all ruled right now together, if the country voted whether their children should go to jail for a flower in their pocket, they would all say no. Mm. But what's the reality of our society? Right, right. The elites right. control our society. Right. No, I agree so with that. So we must change policy all the time. Never worry about these individuals. Every, individuals are always around. Like if you worry about the source of this information coming from me, you'll miss the point entirely. The all of that must stand outside. Yeah. Just see, my belief. See, I think I think if we if if everybody had the objective morality to uh, respect individual liberties, like okay, you own your body, you own yourself. Uh, you, you, as long as you don't hurt other people and as long as you don't steal from other people or damage property or other mm -hmm. people's stuff, then do whatever you want. Agree. So if we all agree upon that, that is a foundational objective morality that if everybody agreed upon, then you could literally live however you wanted so long as you didn't hurt anybody or steal from anybody. So if you want to do something to your body, you want to have sex with whoever you want, you want to take drugs, whatever, as long as you don't hurt anybody... Uh, or steal from anybody, it's totally cool. And I think that that's a very good foundation, objective morality. If people could all agree on that, then you could kind of live however you want it. Just don't hurt anybody and don't take from Doesn't anybody. Doesn't that mean that you couldn't have the labels, though? See, that's my argument. Oh, right. Yes, right. yes. Yeah, I understand what you're saying with the labels, definitely. I'm just saying that with with uh, you have to have some kind of foundational objective you know, you have to have the rules to the game; otherwise, the game can't be played. This and, would and this would require getting rid of all religion, though. This is not agreed. Do you, do you think that's even possible? Over time, it's, it's, I would say it's essentially inevitable. But the, I would steer like religion is just an ideology. So it would be any of those ideologies. We'll just replace them with something. So it's like an addict replaces their the heroin with you know Christianity. That happens all the time. Right. So the focus then should be on the addiction, not mm. on on what the thing is. So we shouldn't have any groups that other, whether it's religion or any ideology where we can do an ism, it, it necessitates that we will view the others as less worthy than us. It's, it's, it's us essentially making the world proclamation and it, that, that that thing is better. So if it's socially constructed, we, sh we should try to do everything we can to avoid it. Now, if it's biology and it's facts, well, there's nothing you can do about that. Mm. You know, are males and females different? Absolutely. Are men and women different? That's genders. I mean, I mean, I don't know. What does that mean? It's just the role that somebody's playing. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, the current research does show that gender is uh, very, very strongly connected or correlated, I should say, to 
to your sex. It has uh, to be though. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what everyone is telling you. Yeah, it's it, it right? is very interesting. So they're right? telling you choose. Yeah boy or girl but if that was never a concept mm. you see that's the thing we forget like so native americans race was never a concept to them right so and there are places in this country now you could go try to talk about in this world you could go talk about race and people have no idea what the fuck you're talking mm. about because it's not objectively real it's not something that will be present sure, in sure. our society I, and I, what i find fascinating too is when someone does you know if it is a man that does identify as the female gender they typically will go in the extreme feminine of that female gender, you almost never see. Well, that's what we notice. I mean, I don't know, dude. I've had some like I'm. I've had some dudes that were a little sketchy when it okay. came to like how they were approaching me, and they look like normal dudes mm-hmm. to me. So, do the people that are extremely feminine do are they just correlated with more confidence mm. to express their their gayness? That's for a good. That's a very mm. good. That's a very good point. Interesting one, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, this is this is this went all over the place, but it was a lot different than I thought it would. Yeah, be. it yeah. totally went no, for sure. Kind of a different yeah. path. We Crazy. had this thing. For had sure. some things planned out and everything to even talk about. But what's the point of that? It's <laughs> less authentic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very cool. So you're currently studying. Um, are you are you going to uh, to university for this, or is this all on your own? That no, 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 no. So I'm wrapping up my PhD now. Uh, and that's what the dissertation studies for. So okay. once that's finished, then that'll be my my piece that I can finally say I'm done with school. I contemplate it. Um, and Arizona State has um, a law degree uh, scholarship I'm pretty sure I could qualify for. So mm-hmm. I contemplated doing that and then trying to be like a public defender to try and just make a change on some level that I could. Yeah. I think that would probably distract me too much. Mm. I, 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 th- I think I should continue to focus in getting the ideas refined out so that other people can have tools for their discussions. Mm-hmm. I think I need to get things into more avenues so I can write articles and I can I can talk about these. I need stuff in published literature and I need to just work on getting the information out more. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't necessarily know what that is. I, to a certain extent, I'm certainly lost at the moment. Are you mm-hmm. Are you getting any... I, I would think you got to be getting some support from cops, right? You're not... Oh, no, there always has been. Cop, cops aren't... Are you like 50-50? Like do, do... No, I don't think that any cops have a real problem. Um, the essential thing that I think most cops have an issue with is I ask... Or they perceive that I'm asking them to do something that they can't do. Mm. And they're right that they can't do it. There's no pathway mm. for them to be good. So we often say, uh, I put out a tweet, uh, uh, Instagram post the other day that got people riled up, but that said, I get tired of hearing it. People say, well, we're all the good cops. Mm. You told them all to fuck off. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't, you don't provide a pathway for them to speak. All whistleblowers have their careers destroyed. That's true. N- name any whistleblower that's had a successful career. Go. Yeah. Right. No, it doesn't happen. Hmm. So the same thing with being me. And that's like, I realized I check all the boxes. And I did this when I was a young sergeant too. I I realized part of our medical system. So the way officers get paid in the Baltimore Police Department, if you get injured with less than five years on, you end up getting like totally screwed. And there was this guy, Keith Romans, who got shot, bullet in his neck, big gun battle, hero-like thing, like saved these other people, like was fighting with blood pouring out of his neck. He was holding his neck, like still engaged in a fight, saving everybody. It was like these moments where you're like, damn, this dude. But they put him in one of those situations. It wasn't a patrol officer. They put him hunting down people. He only had two years on. And at the end of the day, his pension ended up being $12,000 a year. Yeah, it's terrible. And he's got a bullet in the neck for the rest of his life and can't get a job. And it's like those kind of things when I, when I see them, like I couldn't tell my officers, I said, how the fuck can I tell anybody with under five years on to go out there and risk your life? So this city will fuck you over like that. Mm -hmm. Like there's no way I could do that. And I kind of feel a bit like that 
today. Like, I can't tell cops to go out there and say something. I'm telling you to give away your pension, everything you fucking worked for, and the people that you stand up for are guaranteed to fucking cut you down as soon as we're mm-hmm. done with you. Mm-hmm. So, don't you don't you feel like almost all of our systems are like this, though? I mean, the school systems, I mean, <laughs> it, like, what system isn't right. fucked up like this? Flawed. Yeah, I mean, you're right. And I, the medical I system, I mean, name it, <laughs> actually, name me a system that we can't sit right now and just tear apart the same way, though, right? I'll go, best I can go with is public health, but they don't, they're super under. Oh, no, we'll argue that one. But yeah, they have yeah. no money. We'll, we'll yeah. argue, yeah, we'll yeah. still argue All that one. information yeah. in that yeah. direction. Yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. yeah that's true, that's true. I, I don't know, I can't, I can't think of anything, but we can continue to improve them. I, I think if we ever were to say we had an answer, then we're complete fools. Hmm. It's We're only doing like the thing we think is best for the current conditions. Like, I have a problem with leaving, even relying on the past. When people say, well, this happened 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. When motherfuckers couldn't find a way home? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like, what do you mean? Like, right. like an entirely different idea where if like you got dropped off in Boise, Idaho, you seriously might not find like your way back to civilization. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. I don't want to go back fucking a year you know like, what do you mean like go back in time but they want to go back in time for information and even if it was right and if it worked it was only right and only worked then under those conditions at that time i mean just like any discussion in america is dramatically different now than it was two and a half years ago mm. dramatically yeah so if i was right about what i did a year or two years ago and kept doing it and, and it doesn't work now. It doesn't mean I was wrong then. It doesn't mean I should do it now. The, it, like, it's always about the best thing that we think going forward. Mm-hmm. Constantly refining. Yeah, constantly refining. The idea that we ever get there is just fucking a, a really weird human do you, arrogance. Do you think that technology will help us to, to bring I don't us to know. the future? I, I kept wanting to say that. Yeah. And now, I, I don't know if technology helps or not. I feel like when I get away from technology and I just hang out with people, mm-hmm. that the problems that you think are problems aren't there. And it's like, I think a lot of like right-wing black guys do this, mm. where they're like, I don't know, man. Like, I hang out around a lot of white, white motherfuckers, and they don't care. Yeah, <laughs> And I felt like that, too, when I kept going to go around. It was like, well, one thing, I did, an easy way to think of this, if you can think of, like, some typically uh, ultra white guy who's never seen black people his whole life has those old racist ideologies that got passed down and blah, blah, blah. Do you think he wants to date Ben Carson, his daughter to date Ben Carson's daughter and have that guy around every day or you know, his son ever around or me? They're right. not going to have me around. I promise. And I, if they pick me in a catalog, they'd be like this guy right here. <laughs> But as soon as they met me, they'd be like, get that motherfucker out of here. You know, all that shit that I would be saying, I'd be shitting on the religion. Yeah, I used to get my daughter shot. Yeah, <laughs> tell them white people aren't a real thing either. Like, when I say black's not real, it means your white isn't real either. Like, none of this shit is real. Policing doesn't work. Like, they don't want somebody like that around. What they want is somebody in their own culture that they're familiar with. And that's why homicides happen that way, like you were pointing to before. Mm-hmm. Almost all crime is inter- of what you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. So even the idea, like most people think that you could go down to Baltimore and be like, oh, it's dangerous. 
No, it's actually not. Even statistically, if you're not involved in the game, your odds of getting shot in Baltimore are the same as anywhere else in the entire country. Statistically, your odds of getting shot walking through some cornfield are the exact same as they are walking through West Baltimore. If you're not in the game, those people don't know you. Like Crime is not amongst strangers. So you're saying that's controlled. So if we go in and I'm not a part of the game and I walk through the streets of Baltimore, the odds that I'm going to get shot are the same Mm-hmm. As walking anywhere else when you control wow. factor. Wow, yeah. that's an interesting and, and uh, really interesting. Also, when you inc- uh, account for inter- human interactions, hmm. so they'll do things like, "Oh, there's no crime or there's no violence in this area that's nothing but cornfields in Kansas." They've only had one homicide in this county for you know 15 years. It's like, yeah, and your people talk to one another twice a day. Mm-hmm. But when you're in a big city, then you're interacting with people constantly, constantly, constantly. So that's what makes New York even vastly more impressive is that not only do they have this success by eliminating lead, they have interactions left and right and they have social inequality and they have policing and they have local instability still. That's how strong lead poisoning is. Mm-hmm. Wow. Damn. Yeah, you were saying you were, uh, you, you were feeling lost. Uh, do you think what you've done publicly is going to help or hurt you in the future in terms of you know, what you may want to do? I don't, I don't really have a want. Um, active, any activist, and I believe I am, I, I guess I, I have to take the title of being somewhat of an activist for police reform. Okay. Uh, so any activist's primary goal should be the elimination of their purpose. So my entire goal is that nobody ever talks to me again. I can go live a retirement like a normal fucking person uh-huh. and, and, and not have to deal with these issues because they've been taken seriously and other people are working on them. Hmm. Uh, so my idea of success is that nobody hears my name ever again. Um I think that should be the case with anyone. That's why you cannot trust a DeRay McKesson, a Sean King, a, a right. Al Sharpton. You can't trust any of these people. Their livelihoods and all their incentives are, are based upon the continuation of these things. Agreed. Mm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So how, how tell us, I, I kind of glazed over early on and I referenced The Wire. How much of that <laughs> is true? How close to reality is that? The Wire? Yes. Uh, I mean, it's close. I mean, it's as close to as accurate as you could possibly get. Really? Yeah. So I, w- I would argue that it is the most accurate TV show that's probably ever been made. Wow. Um, so to capture, my my big problem with The Wire is it will capture, like, I don't know if everybody knows, but Carcetti's Martin O'Malley, if anybody didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> so sure. the, all those characters in The Wire are actually real characters in Baltimore. They're all based off of real people. So when you're from there, you know who they all are. You know all these stories. You even like, oh, could shit. predict what was going to oh. happen because um, you, you knew these stories. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and so th- like that whole thing, my problem with it is, is it's, it's accurate, but it's such a narrow window of what Baltimore is. And it's part of that narrow window that clouded my mind as well. It took me a long time. I mean, I was well into to being a major case narcotics detective before like I developed, I guess like the confidence or, or familiarity, like we were talking about again, to like walk through the hood unarmed and with mm. like regular clothes on and things like that. Like you have to kind of take that down. And once I took that down, it was like, oh shit, like I'm not really anywhere different. You know, drug dealers aren't, pushing drugs on you they stand on the corner yeah. and if you walk past they're selling them, them to the people that want them they sell them everybody yeah. wants them you walk past you know you want some like, i'm yeah. good and they're like all right bro have a good day yeah. nothing nothing weird happens about that the only one i remember one time i saw a drug dealer who came up to me like thinking oh this dude's a buyer he came up he's like ah. no 
Turn, <laughs> turn around and walk the other you're, way. You're a cop. Yeah. But it was like ladies, sweet, grandmas sweeping out their porches and talking to the neighbors. Like those are the things I started to see when I, I kind of took down my prejudices and biases in those areas. Mm, interesting. Uh, and that's not captured there. I mean, the school season captures that somewhat, but. Well, fascinating conversation, man. Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah, nice. very different than what I expected, for but thanks sure. Thanks for finding me that back out here. And thanks for, like, I was supposed to be here a week ago or something. Oh, shit. <laughs> yes. You know that? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was totally my fault. I went, I did something cool, though, which when you talk about things happening, I ended up, I had to go to LA that day and I just got my wires crossed. Yeah, so I apologize for what that. What did you do? That was the point. Yeah. So I went with, I guess I could say it was with CNN. I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk, but they, um, they approached me, CNN of all people, uh, international, with an, a, a fairly good idea on a, a TV show talking about police reform and the angle to get to it that people will care. I think oh, they had a good idea. Oh. It was the first time I was like, guys, you guys wow. actually have a good idea. Oh, wow. So I had to go out there to do like the promo reel that they'll use to send to their kind bosses. Pitch it. Oh, yeah, good for you, man. Pitch it. So hopefully that will work. I think the promo real can, like I could show you guys like that if I, I would, yeah, I would love oh, to yeah. look at that before you leave that I'd it'd be interesting to see like if they unfold the story the same way you have the experience of shooting yeah, exactly. it. Exactly. Well, yeah. We're, I mean, we'll see what they do. They, they, they seem pretty trustworthy. Um, they're real professional and kind of have their shit all lined up. I was, I was impressed and they were coming up with good ideas and I don't miss the irony of cnn doing that but i was thinking in all reality though i mean if you think about it it's cnn and international and next this is the last season of somebody's show and so there is a time slot next year that was for dane's channel <laughs> i see <laughs> oh, i'm just saying you know there is a time slot available oh, next shit. season yeah. all right well, well good deal man yeah yeah thanks for coming on, on. Yeah, thank yeah. you guys Appreciate it was great it. talking to you no yeah, yeah you thank too you. Yeah, great conversation thank you for listening to mind pump if your goal is to build and shape your body dramatically improve your health and energy and maximize your overall performance check out our discounted rgb super bundle at mindpumpmedia.com the RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now, plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump. <laughs> <laughs>